Cowan and Shannon with you. I'm going to guess that there will be people surprised with who we have as a guest on today's program. I think uh, if for no other reason, not that he's not deserving of being on the program, certainly is, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. The, the point being that I do have something of a reputation of hating soccer. And there is some truth in that. And yet, but, 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 well, but if it's a national event, um, a national team, I, I'm, I'm going to be supportive. And I'm, I'm really intrigued by this guy. Um, he and is, I, t- I tell you what, I tell you what, Bob, the one thing I will tell, uh, tell everybody about you, you got a, as excited as any Canadian who watched a soccer game about the Alfonso Davies goal against Panama in, in the second week of October. So a few weeks back, uh, you got as excited as anybody because there was a hell of a goal. Well, I can recognize a great, well, it wasn't just a great play. Um, the ending was a great play. Yeah. Um, what really amazed me was that this guy went, I don't know, 40 yards at full speed to go after a ball that was really kind of an inconsequential play. Mm-hmm. He may have felt like he could get to it before the defender, but he just barely got there. I actually think the ball went out of bounds. But don't spoil a good story. Well, I mean, don't, don't, don't spoil it. You don't think it went out of bounds? Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. So, well, they, <laughs> but they got but away. I wasn't going to say it. They got away with it. And, uh, and this finish was extraordinary. And the, oh. the overall play was as, I mean, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, other than an over the head scissors kick that winds up in the top corner, and I don't know how guys do that, this was a pretty remarkable play. Well, when we when we had Sharman on, let's face it, it we 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 thought it might be a, a watershed moment for men's soccer in this country. Well, I think it'll be shown over and over again. The dilemma you have is, you know, it's not a three second clip. In order to really fully appreciate it, it probably takes about ten seconds to run the whole play, because yeah. you want to watch him go flying down the sideline at full speed to go get it. And then he cuts back in, puts a deke on the defender, and then left foots it into the net. Anyway, we're going to talk about that, but we're going to talk about this Canadian national soccer team and their quest to get to the World Cup for the first time since 84, 86? Six, 86, 86, where they never scored a goal in Mexico. Never it's been a long, long time of, of utility and really a lot of futility. And then all of a sudden, Poof, things have changed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really, hasn't really been evolutionary. It was just kind of a couple of young guys who, um, who have wound up being extraordinarily talented, wind up playing international soccer and coming back for the national team. And, and then they go and get this coach who has had nothing but success, um, albeit in the women's game. And we're going to talk to him. John Herdman, when we come back after these messages. He is the uh, head coach of Canada's men's national soccer team um, who are on a bit of a roll. John Herdman is uh, with us from Edmonton, where the next uh, couple of games uh, will be played. Good to see you. Thanks a lot. And uh, congratulations on the way the team has played so far. It has been been quite a ride, huh? It has been a ride. It's... Uh... It's been intense. I feel like every game has been an absolute war. And we're only halfway through. We're not even halfway through yet. We've got eight games to go. So we've had a bit of momentum, but we've we've got to keep our feet on the ground as well. There's, there's a long way to go in this. Uh, we obviously want to talk about, um, you know, the progression through this. But I want a little bit about you uh, off the top. Um, a dozen or more years of uh, being the head coach of a women's program, national program, first in New Zealand, then in Canada, then on to the men three years ago. How much of a transition was it for you to do that after so long coaching women's soccer? Yeah, it was a transition. That's that's for sure. I mean, I think the the hardest part of this was the mindset of, 
the diehard football community who just that they couldn't get around their heads that the women's coach who was in a good position and doing well with the women's team was moving to the men's program and some of that was it was just such a shock people people hadn't really seen it coming but at the same time it was like can a women's coach coach a, a men's team and that, I think there was a there was a strong element of that whether I'd be able to handle the egos in the locker room but it's high performance Bob I mean that's it's high performance like you can't tell me Christine Sinclair hasn't got an element <laughs> of ego you can't tell us oh, yeah. you know that there's not egos in women's locker rooms and you know competitive emotions it's it's high performance. I mean, people are competing uh, at the highest levels of their craft and, and there's processes, systems um, that, that bring the best out of people and they're transferable. From a coaching perspective, is there a difference in coaching women than men? Or is it the same philosophy, same basics, <laughs> same fundamentals? Well, I can say it. I mean, this is this is the brilliant thing. I think in in football, I was I was one of the first, um, if not the first, to to transition in from men's to from women's to men's at the international level. And I can honestly say, look, there's gender differences. I mean, the the, the social social context that boys, girls, men, and women are growing up in uh, are very different. But when it comes to performance, that there's not a massive gap. There's not a massive gap. I mean, I might drop a few more F-bombs in the dressing room. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's not a massive gap. We, we literally trans, transfer the processes and systems we develop to help land medals on the women's side into the men's program because it's what it was lacking. And all of the success we've had is, is being around connecting a group of people to a purpose way bigger than them. And then you make the environment safe. You make it safe because the culture becomes strong. You develop codes, codes of conduct that they haven't been too different. So, you know, I think for, for me, it was, it was more of a stigma of, well, you know, these guys might earn billion, millions of millions of dollars and they're going to be hard to manage. They're not Canadians. You know, I'm quite fortunate. Canadians are just, a good people like they've got strong values maybe if i'd walked into the french team or or the the dutch national team where there's a history of of those sort of antics um but but canadians are good people they're accepting they're open-minded and they've got good core values that tend to fit the, the values that i espouse in my teams how, how long do you think it took you john to feel comfortable with the men's team well, well, I think I don't think you ever lose that imposter syndrome when you're at this level. I don't think you're ever <laughs> comfortable. I mean, that's that's high performance. And at times when you're working with Christine Sinclair, you don't feel comfortable. You you always wonder if you're underselling it. And, and I had to live with that for seven years. When you're working with someone that is the best in their craft, and and you're going into the men's environment, that that had helped prepare us for some some of this element, but. I don't think you ever feel comfortable. And I think if you do feel comfortable, you shouldn't be in a high-performance sport. I mean, how comfortable are you guys when you get on radios now and you know you've got to appeal to your listeners? You know that you're competing with all the other shows. I mean, if you guys get comfortable, you know you're in the wrong job. I think you've answered this question, but I want to ask it specifically anyway. Did you note a, note a fundamental difference in the I mean, there's ego in all of us and there's a, you almost have to have a certain level of ego to be a high performance athlete. And yet we think of women still athletes or otherwise as softer, gentler, um, more understanding, uh, maybe more willing to take direction uh, from a coach in your case. Was, did you noted, note any of that? Did it, or is that, is that a complete mirage? I think there's an element of mirage there, but but I do feel that the the era and generation I was working with, the back end of that veteran generation had have grown up in a completely different world to what the new millennial group have grown up in. 
Mm, you know, true. the gender, the gender barriers, the gender biases. You, you know, I'm, I was a school teacher, so I know that in my time at school, the education system was removing gender biases from, you know, books that children read. You know, women were becoming the heroes, not the, the men that were saving the damsels in distress. So I just feel like, you know, the, the generations have shifted. I feel that the, the male and female generations now are much more on an equal playing field. And that, that to me, has played into, I think, some of the experiences I've had, like working with Jordan Heitemer or Jesse Fleming or Ashley Lawrence or Kadisha Buchanan. You know, they've not, they've not grown up with big biases where they had <laughs> to wear men's football shirts. Or, so it's, I, I don't think there's a, there's a huge difference working with these younger generations. They, they've been educated in very similar ways. They're used to learning environments. The men's and women's game have moved massively um, in, in the last 10 years towards, like I say, becoming more open to how culture is important and how you create performance environments that help people grow and learn. I think some of the you know veterans, they weren't used to that. They weren't used to maybe what I was bringing into the environment. It's like, well, what, what do we need this for? You know, we, we just get out and perform. I, I back myself to deliver. Um, and, and that took some time, I think, to just convince people to invest in some of the things that we were, we were putting in place that we transferred from the women's side. If I watched, uh, if I watched one of your women's practices and now I watch one of your men's practices, would I notice a difference? Well, well I think I've improved as a coach. It's, it's, it's taken, you know, you're, you're always trying to evolve. I, I think on the men's side, I've, I've been able to bring in some really good assistant coaches that have, that have pushed us to another level. Um, I think that the sessions are more dynamic, less, um, less sort of teacher-orientated. You, you've got to set a, a real climate, a, a performance climate for the, the male players because it's what they're used to at their clubs. So what, what I could say is on the women's side, our women's team were centralized a lot with the national team they spent a lot of time with the national team but on on the men's side they spend all their time with their clubs so i had to understand what was happening in the club environments and the dynamic there because if it's too far away from what they're used to you you can't get the buy-in and i've had to adapt so shorter sessions more concise more competitive more intensity um and and less i wouldn't say learning but less coach-centered. It's got to be more, way more player-centered. With John Herdman, the head coach of uh, Canada's national soccer team. Men. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> we, um, you've been in North America long enough to understand that uh, the culture here in the, in the major sports is offense, scoring. Um, yeah. That is what people love, whether it's the NBA, the Major League Baseball, the NHL, football. Um, did any of that rub off on you, that notion of, I know that this is a game that you're happy to win one nothing, um, and you're happy to win one nothing as many times as you play, but there is an entertainment value that's associated with scoring in North America yeah. that does not exist really in a traditional long-term soccer country. Did, how did that affect you, if at all? It, it, it's interesting because it, it, it's not until you've raised it, it hasn't been in, in my, my psychology. What, what I have learned is that through the grassroots football, because my son's gone through the whole system and you sense this transitional nature of what Canada are as a country from a DNA perspective. We are a highly transitional team with, with an ability to really have that killer instinct in transition. Our women's team would score 90% of our goals in that transitional moment. And, and that's, that's what I'd seen in the youth development as well. A lot of hockey dads would be coaching their daughters <laughs> or sons. You bet. And they'd, be, and, and they'd be pushing that, you know, that, that quick turnover and a quick attack. Whereas if you're in, I don't know, Latin America or in Spain, it's, it's more about, you know, that, that, that rhythm to build and, and take the moment to possess the ball. So 
you, you know, it's in our DNA and it, it you know, our last, uh, we've scored 12 goals in the last um, seven, eight games and eight of them have been from transition in four passes or less. So it gives you a sense of like the inherent culture here has impacted, you know, the way that our players have, have been formed. I've got no doubt in that. But at the same time, you know, it hasn't entered my psyche. The one thing I've, I've got going for me is, is the biggest influence on my football life was uh, Kevin Keegan at Newcastle United. <laughs> and I had the best five, five years of my life in Newcastle when, you know, he was having his team scoring uh, as many goals as they could. He didn't care how many they conceded. They just score. And, and everyone loved it. I mean, they, they were known as the entertainers. And I just think there's a generation here now in Canada with, with Davies, Laren, David, Buchanan, Larry, uh, Mark Anthony Kerr, Jonathan Azario, Lucas Cavallini, Junior Hoylett. I mean, those guys are attacking players. It, it's that they, they live to score. So, you know, I, I feel like it's um, with, with my underlying philosophy as well of, of trying to get out and entertain the fans. And yeah, it, it's. It, the, the psychology wasn't influenced by hockey or, or, or football because I, I don't watch them sports, so it's it's not some <laughs> even basketball. I don't I don't know anything about them. I was at the Oilers game the other night, and you know the, the crowd are doing nothing until there's a shot on net, and I'm like, what's happening? It's quiet, <laughs> you know. The, no one's booing the referee. You know, it's yeah, it was it's a strange experience, but yeah. That, that Conor McDavid's not bad, though, is he? He's no, he's pretty good. <laughs> he's, he's, okay. he's all right. He'll be okay. He's the Fonzie, he'd actually, Fonzie on ice. He'd actually, he, I was going to say he'd actually be a pretty good soccer player if he put his uh, his mind to it, John. I got, I've got to warn you, and and not to take it way back, but so you're at Newcastle, and and if somebody walked up to you and said, "By the way, in 2020 or 2021, you're going to be living in Canada." and coaching the national team of Canada. At that point, I mean, we were, what, 83rd, 84th in the world in soccer? Maybe not even that high? What would you have thought? Oh, my God. I mean, I, I had one of those sort of surreal moments in the uh, Azteca a couple of, couple of weeks back before that Mexico game because my memory, my, my, my first memories of football was – Maradona's hand to God in, oh, in yeah. that stadium against England. I remember my dad weeping in the front room <laughs> and <like laughs> a grown man crying because England's been knocked out of the World Cup. But it was like that Sinclair moment, the referee moment in the US game where the whole country were just like mortified that something like that could happen. And, and that, that was like the, the light switch for us where you, you just fall in love with the sport. That was the passion. So you, you in the Azteca and you're like, how the hell did I get here? <laughs> what, yeah. what am I doing here? Like, how, how does this stuff happen? This snotty-nosed kid from Concert County Durham is, is, is in the Azteca and what a night that was. Whew, we had, we had a, a great performance as well. John Herman is with us, the uh, head coach of the, the men's national basketball program. Take a quick break. Foot, soc right foot soccer program, soccer program, not basketball. Come on. What did I say basketball? Yeah. <laughs> Let them maroon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if we could, we'd edit it out, but we can't. And uh, well, that's right. Leave it in. Leave it My in. My apologies. Well, we're, we're going to turn you. We're going to turn you. To the, to the... <laughs> well, we'll take a quick break. Come back with uh, more. John Herdman is uh, with us, McCowan and uh, Shannon here. Um, I want to turn to more recent events, and that was the, um, the last game you guys played um, uh, here in Toronto against uh, Panama. And I watched your uh, news conference after the game. I don't know how many times, John, you use the word fight, but it was a lot. And it seemed to me to be kind of the catchphrase for you and I wondered if that, how much did you use that, that word in preparing your team? Uh, not just for the Panama game, but for all games. That, 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 that word seemed to be representative of what you want from this team. Yeah, uh, it, it is a big part of, of what we're trying to create here. The reality for us is and, and this isn't be letting on anything that's gone before i don't know enough about what's gone before but 
what I do know is that a lot of what I heard is that when push comes to shove, teams like Honduras, El Salvador, they just want it more. They, they need it more. They need to qualify more. There's a, a fight in those people because of them getting out of the realities that they've lived in or they've had to fight all their lives. And in Canada, many of us are a middle class. You know, we, we don't have to fight for much. So when, you know, pardon my French, but when the shit hits the fan, you know, these teams tend to get stronger. And, you know, I'd seen moments. The, the Haiti game was a great example for us where when the shit hit the fan, we, we didn't fight. We, we, we didn't bind together. And, and we've used that as, as motivation. And I've said this to, to all the men, like, we have to fight every moment in that game for this opportunity because nobody is going to give you nothing in CONCACAF. The referees, the pitchers, the opposition fans, the opposition, they'll give you nothing. And we have to get into a mentality that this means more to us than them. And they've got to feel that. So when they, when they raise their fight, they've got to know we're not backing down. So when you know things are happening in the corner and mm. you know three guys are in a dust-up, all of a sudden, 23 of our guys are there because that's that's us now. We're all going to get in. And and then the whole stadium was going off. <laughs> it, was, it was nearly a riot. And, and we know, like Canadians, that what I've learned about them is, you know, when you roll, when there's something there that, that you want to fight for, that sort of peacekeeper identity disappears and, and Canadians will roll their sleeves up and they'll get in and, and they're hard people. You know, they're, they're, they're yeah. gritty and tough, but it takes a lot to get Canadians in that fight, you know? And But when they are, they're oh, yeah. in, all in. But how, how much of your job, you, you, you named your roster on Friday, how much of your job between Friday to the Friday game against Costa Rica is tactician, being a tactician or being a motivator? I think, I think it's it's both. I mean, the, you have to get that balance right with with this group. Um, they don't need a great amount of motivation, but they need clarity. They need clarity in the mindset. Every game is is built on a mindset that can be elevated by the structure you put in place and the skill sets that you choose, or it can be undermined by it. But at the end of the day, the mindset's the key to it. I could have the best structure and tactics but if the mindset's not right we we aren't going to perform so it's always working back from the mindset and then looking in this environment here as i look out the window in edmonton and going well what is going to elevate <laughs> and take away is it the cold is it the pitch you know is it you know they're not in toronto and that's that's for many of them where their families are so i've got to i've got to work on this uh and then get the tactics right and then make sure I, I pick the right players. Well, you mentioned weather, you mentioned cold. It's got to be cold. Um, uh, Shannon, what, did a, what a coincidence. A little, it's a little, what research. a coincidence. No, November in Canada, John. What? Well, November in Edmonton, worse than that. Uh, it might well, very well be below zero Celsius at game time. Um, concern you at all or or I no we're assume, loving it yeah i would assume the costa ricans are going to be more impacted by it than you guys would be wouldn't you wouldn't they well we're, we're loving it i mean they're they're training in san jose now they're training in 26 27 degrees and then they'll fly the day before the game and then it's welcome to edmonton the same with the mexicans they're on the east coast playing like when we go to those countries and, and haiti was a prime example no one wanted to go to Haiti. It was in a COVID pandemic. There was a civil unrest in the country. We're now arriving. We're turning up in 38 degrees, it was. We were on turf. The turf was melting the boots of the players. And, and in that game, if those men had said, it's too hot, we can't do this. And they got beat. I would have went, you're right, holy, how on earth did you even get yourself into this? But they didn't. They, 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 they didn't quit. And when you bring a team into conditions that are unfamiliar, you always give them that option to quit. Mm -hmm. and, 
and and I think this is this is our reality. Like we we've been we, we have gone on a tough road, and that resilience it's forged. Like we we forged that resilience in playing Aruba and playing Bermuda and going all the way to St Kitts and playing St Kitts. But but for some of these countries, they've never been to Canada. They've never been in World Cup qualification with us in November, and, and now they're gonna they're gonna experience it. And at some point. We know they've got an out. It's, it's their excuse that they can use. So we could have went to BC Place. Uh, we could have all, right, you know, yeah. closed the roof and put on 21 degrees. We did that against Mexico a few years ago, and there was 25,000 Mexicans there, and they played in 20 degrees on a, on a you know lovely lovely field with with 50,000 people. But we we're ready for something different, and we wanna we wanna use all of everything we can use in Canada to make sure we qualify. How satisfying was it that your roster you named on Friday was basically the one that was intact from the previous matches that you played? I mean, that's satisfying. I'll tell you what was more satisfying that that roster that went into the last game, we were missing Boyan, our starting goalkeeper, our starting centre midfielder and captain Atiba. And I was starting centre forward, Kyle Lahren. That was like three key players in our spine. And those boys were able to put a performance on in the Azteca, which I think shifted mindset again, grinded out a tough match in Jamaica and then got the points in in Panama. So, you know, I think what it does, it, it keeps telling all of the team we've got this. You know, anyone can get injured. We're, we're going to be there. Like, we're, we're going to bring it. And now Atiba's back, Milan's back. We've still lost Junior, which was a real shame. And we've got Kyle back. So we're as strong as ever. And we've, we've added, you know, young Ike Ugbu as well to, to the squad. Um, so we're getting, we're getting stronger and we need to be strong in these two games because these are critical games, guys. These are big matches for us. Tell us about Ugbu. What, what does he bring? Well, he's he's young. He's, he's young, and you know what you what you find typically is you, you get a lot of guys committing to Canada at the end of their careers. You know, like 28, yeah. 29. You, you, we've got the best years of this young lad ahead of us. Um, he's a goal scorer, so he's adding to that that list, Bob. Of Thank you. Just scoring goals, <laughs> no defenders, just attackers on the field. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he's he's a goal scorer. He's he's a young number nine. Um, he scored seventeen goals in thirty four matches or eighteen goals in in Belgium in the top league. That that's sort of on par with what Jonathan David did in his first season in Belgium. So he, we know he's got quality. He came up through Chelsea's youth system until he was twenty one year old. Until he he got this move into Genk, and, and I think it's. It's for the future. It's it's another. He's ready now. There's no doubt he's ready now. You don't play in Belgium um, and score goals in Belgium if you're not ready now. But he's going to be there in 2026, and that's critical because we will have players transitioning during this period of time, and we've got to keep getting stronger. But what Ugbu's done is probably sent a, a very clear message that. He could have signed for Nigeria and it was very close that, you know, to make that decision. And and they are a powerhouse in world football. They they qualify for every World Cup. So he mm-hmm. had a he had a, a ticket in his hand to go to a World Cup, but he chose to be part of this adventure. And, uh, you know, there's a generation here that he wants to play football with. Well, uh, you, you, you talk about, 2026 so much that is that is that a real selling point for these guys well i think i, I think it is i think it's important you know certainly with with Akinola, you know to play at home in a home world cup i mean obviously the the, the guy's got to keep performing and he, he he's career tracking but for someone like him it's it's clear like i, I want to play in toronto in a home world mm. cup i mean i grew up here i'm a brampton boy so, you know, when you ask him and, and he's got that choice of playing for the US or Canada and he, and he can have that moment and feel that pride of, of being in his own country. Yeah, that, that's massive. But 
you know, I think, I think players are, are very focused on the very near future. I mean, very rarely you get people projecting six years out in a football career. I think they could smell that Canada have got a big chance now. And we had an honest conversation with someone like Ayo and said, look, if we don't get into this World Cup qualification, if you were my son, I'd be telling you to go to the USA because you don't want to miss 2022. Like, you can't miss that World Cup. Like, it would be a travesty if I said, oh, you know, sign for Canada now, but we haven't even got into the qualification pathway. So, you know, I was honest with them. And, and I think, like I say, you, you've got to be honest with these lads when they're, when they're making massive decisions about their careers. Um, you have seen, you know, for every soccer goal that I have seen, I'm sure you've seen a thousand. So I'm the wrong one to purport to try and analyze um, anything in this, in this sport. Having said that, the goal by Alfonso Davies in the Panama game, and mm. I know you know what I'm referring to, um, was something I don't think I've ever seen. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a player hustle that hard, that far to get to a ball that was almost ungettable and then do what he did with it. And I'm just, I'm intrigued as hell in knowing where does that rank among the goals that you've seen? I mean, I, I, I could sit here and watch a hundred goals, the highlights, and I've, I've done that. And I, I'm never really sure what, what the, what the specialty is that delineates what the number one goal is from the number 20 goal is. Where was that one in your history and life in the sport? It has to be up there. I think if Ronaldo or Messi does that, it's, you know, it's, it's a world news. Um, but I think what you've identified there, it tells a story about this kid. And I don't know if you'd watched the, the five minutes before that, but the, he was knackered. The whole game. Yeah. He, he was knackered like five minutes before mm -hmm. that moment. He was playing center forward. He'd been pressing. He'd been, you know, highly transitional, a lot of high speed runs. And you could sense he started the flag. So I moved him out wide and brought Tejon forward just to see if I could give him a bit of breathing space, a bit of rest, a bit of recovery. That didn't work uh, so out didn't too well. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was... <laughs> and we, we thought he was done, to be fair. He'd gone back-to-back -back 90 minutes against Mexico at altitude, Jamaica at heat. He's now in the 60-odd minute. And, and we were looking, going, he's gassed. He's, he's gone. And then... I, I was frustrated because we were forcing balls in behind. We would keep trying to take like a, a cheap transition instead of, you know, crafting the moment. We were, we were looking tired and I was frustrated. I just turned to the bench and probably used an expletive because Johnny had just hit a blind pass in behind and it was a nothing ball. And it was the story of that 10 minutes. We were losing momentum. And then he took off. And I'm thinking he, he's, he's going after it. <laughs> and he, he picked up that pace. And when he picked up the pace, it was just like, a, it was a moment where you've gone, he, he's got it. But it was what happened next that, that shocked us. And if you watch my celebration, I actually turned to DeVos and went, did that happen? Did he score? <laughs> because in my head, I, I was computing, he's going to pass this to Tejon who's in a good position. Yeah. It still wasn't a great position. And I'm thinking he's going to pass this. And, I, and I'm, I'm sort of in slow-mo waiting for the pass. And he angled his hips. And you can see the goalkeeper just doesn't move because no one was expecting it. And he just angled his hip to get the shot off. And it was like, how did you do that? And when you look at it, you think that, that looks easy. But in the moment when he's computing everything at that speed and he's got a good option there, I mean, it's just genius, really. So for me, it was, uh, it was a special, special moment because I feel like it captures what this team's about. It's not just talent. There's massive heart there, like huge heart. And that kid had gone back to back 90 minutes in tough conditions and performed in every game. And he wasn't willing to let that moment go. So it's who we are. Like we're, we're going to fight. We're going to fight and fight and we're going to push and push. 
uh, and we're going to push this team to Qatar and Fonzie will be a big part of that. How do you coach a guy like that when you realize you're on the national level and he's got more influences from his club team? Well, well um, I, I, I try to, to, to allow him to be the artist he is. I mean, that's, you know, I don't, I don't want to put too many rules around him. Um, I, I don't want to ever cur curtail his dribbling ability. I think at times at Bayern, he looks like a bit of a caged animal. It looks like he, he wants to just set, set off and, and do something special, but he, his discipline, I think, really helped him. It's, it, it's supported that real understanding of how disciplined you've got to be at the highest level. But for Canada, I just want to take those reins off him and, and let him be an artist uh, that, that can have those moments. So I, I don't try and get into his psychology. I, I, I listen to him. I mean, I remember having a lovely conversation with him, just, you know, asking him, look, I, I'm interested, you know, two days. What, 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 tell us all about those two days you prepped for the Champions League final. Mm. You know, I, I want to know everything, every detail. Because we're going to have some big games, Alfonso, and I want to learn about your experience here. Now, where, where do you get that opportunity as a coach? To sit down with a, a Champions League winner and then get into the psychology of how he prepared himself, how the team prepared themselves. And you know, I had two pages of notes coming out of that conversation. He didn't know <laughs> I'm sitting writing. He's just on the other end of the phone. And he's enjoying that conversation because... He's talking about football and it's not overly tactical. It's, you know, his experiences. And yeah, he's, he's different. He is a different, a different cat. And I think people might look at him and see him on TikTok and Instagram. But he's a student of the game. Like, he'll have that conversation with you. But when you start looking at performance metrics, when you start digging into clips, he tunes in. He, he's, he wants to be the best in his position. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill you know, you know the, the one thing i and this is me i i've not coached at your level um but as a guy who has been in the media and has seen superstars with clubs you run the risk of making this so davies team and 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 we do too we we run that risk of making it alfonso mm -hmm. davies team you have a lot of great athletes and a lot of really highly skilled players that we don't see very much because they play in Europe, play on this team. How do you manage and balance that? I think we're, we're fortunate that, like I look at that Welsh team with Gareth Bale, and Gareth Bale literally carried a team, and that's not being disrespectful to any other player, but you know the, the goals he scored, and he carried the team to the Euros and, and to a degree, degree through it. I don't think this is that team. It's hmm. like Jonathan David's just won, won the French league title. Like, wow. And, and he's, he's there scoring the same amount of goals as Mbappe and a team that's not at the same level as his. You know, Kyle Aaron and, and Atiba, you know, take out the Turkish title, you know, with Besiktas. They, they, hmm. they push a double out. And, and it's, you know, you look at those achievements, like, you know, David Wotherspoon's just gone double Scottish Cup winner. You know, he, th there's things happening um, in our environment now uh, that th th there's a lot more to celebrate and there's a lot more to this team than Alfonso. Um, but he is that creative force that will do things that people pay to see. And, 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 you know, our players love that about him. And they, they keep his feet on the ground. They, they <laughs> hammer him in training. They, they, there's bust-ups, you know, not, not, not majorly, but, you know, the, the guys will chip at him about over-dribbling. And, you know, I'll ask the lads just to let him be, you know, let him be. Let's not take this out of him. It's, uh, it, it's what, it, what we all love. So I think in the environment, he's just one of the lads. 
and and we have a real strong code of conduct that you know if you're out of line you're going to get told and i think that's there's mutual respect in there as well you know i see him with people like daniel henry and sam adekube you know older influences that he looks up to and and they keep him in check you know they, they don't give him an inch you know they're, they're, he's still getting slapped around the head at the at the end of a training session when he messes up in drills and yeah it's it's really cool to watch are you uh, is it um is it comparable to how you would have coached christine are there are there similarities are there differences between how you coach two of the greatest well the, in my mind the two greatest male and female soccer players we've ever created in our country Oh, I think it's very different, very different. Um, I mean, with Christine at, at the stage of the career, like she's just, uh, she was like 28 maybe when I came into the team. So w- what I've seen with Christine is there wasn't a great deal I was going to contribute on the field um, to her in terms of our craft because she saw, you're 28, yeah, you're going to have marginal gains in that area and you're always looking for those there was a little one percent, but with Christine, it was all about leadership. It was all about her recognizing she could have a much bigger influence on this team, way bigger influence than what she did, which was, I've just got to lead by example on the field. I, I, I felt that her voice carried a lot of weight and she could use it in, in a way more productive way to, 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 to collectively bring a group together around a common purpose. And I think Fonzie's different. I think he really is. He's, he's young. Um, he's got to be allowed to make mistakes. He's, he's got to be allowed to, to grow into the next stage of his life. Um, and, and I'm just a bit more hands-off with him. I, I think it's the, the key with Fonzie is make sure he's enjoying his football um, mm-hmm. and not giving him those responsibilities that, you know, Christine, I felt, was ready to take. So they're different, very, very different. But similar in, you know, when they're on, hmm. and as a coach, you've got to make sure they're on. <laughs> and that's, that's the key. <laughs> when they're on, they can make a massive difference that not many humans can. So I'm always mindful that that button has to be pressed if they're in camp. <laughs> If they're on, just get out of the way. <laughs> well, that's it. That's it. I mean, that, that, that's part of understanding coaching. Like with this team, they're, they're on a good roll. For me, I've just got to make sure they don't get too complacent. out. You know, tactically, there's we, we, we've worked three and a half, four, nearly four years together. They know what, what, what they need to do out there. I've just got to keep creating the climate start. One, we don't get complacent. Two, it's one game at a time one game at a time, boys. And three, that culturally everyone knows their role and they have a role. And, and that's typically the role of the coach when you've got a good team to make sure that, you know, you, you don't have people um, start to lose sight of what this is about. Uh, for those of us in the media, it's sometimes <laughs> difficult to understand what makes a great coach um, beyond W's. And then you struggle with, okay, how much is it the coach and how much is it the um, ammunition that he's um, been given to, to work with? Uh, but your success rate has been extraordinary. And uh, I would argue you as much as anybody have put this sport on the map or back on the map, if you will, in this country. So you are to be um, admired and congratulated for the... For oh, oh, you're not wrapping this up, are you, Bob? You're not, are you wrapping this up? We are pretty close to time here, John. Okay, hold on. We, we, I got one more really important question. All right. <laughs> Ask it. Are you ready, John? Are you ready? Yeah, go on. Ever watch Ted Lasso? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. <laughs> but I've Come been told I've got to watch it. It's the, greatest marketing to, it's, the, it's the greatest marketing tool for, uh, you know, the, the beautiful game in North America. It is the it it has it has made it understandable. Oh, you yeah. you I John I I tell you what, just a little bit of advice. You know, after you get through with the Costa Rica game, after you get through the Mexico game, take a night and watch a few episodes of Ted Lasso. 
Yeah, I'm worried if I watch Ted Lasso, I'm going to see myself in the mirror, eh? No, no. no. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I don't suspect think so. not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Well, it's been a great run. Uh, congratulations so far. I know it's um, it's too early for the ultimate congratulation. I know you have a you 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 feel you and your team have a job to do, and an opportunity to accomplish what um, this country has been waiting a long time to have accomplished to get the um, the men's team back to a World Cup. We you know we wish you good luck in in for the next two games and then the rest of this this round and. Um, Thanks a lot for taking a few minutes to chat with us. And hopefully we'll get an opportunity to do it somewhere down the road. Thanks, coach. Brilliant. And thank you for the opportunity. I always see you're on the adverts and I've been looking <laughs> forward to have this conversation. I'm glad we finally did. Let's do it again. Sometime. I'll tell you thank what, you, John. John, just bundle up, man. Just bundle up. <laughs> I'm looking out. I'm looking out and going, oh, my God. <laughs> it's a little chilly. <laughs> yeah. The head coach of Canada's men's soccer team, John Herdman. We'll come back after these messages. Well, thanks to John Herdman for joining us on the program. I'll have him back. <laughs> How could, are you kidding me? How could you not be fully engaged with him? Well, no, he's, well, he's a terrific oh interview. Yeah. What, a, what a, a nice guy, interesting guy. And um, yeah. had obviously I, heard of your hate of the sport. Well, okay, so fine. <laughs> but aren't you the, at least a little bit surprised that he isn't coaching? I mean, not to disrespect coaching for the Canadian national team, but why isn't he in high demand like everywhere in the world? What do you got to do? I don't know. I, 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 well, you know, living in anonymity for a while, let's face it, when you, live, when you run the Canadian national program there's there's not many people in europe or the united states maybe in the, maybe in the mls um and, and maybe listen maybe he's had offers and turned them down well, i mean you i never acknowledge know. that i, I think he's that. committed you know I, I, the one thing i would say i think he's you know he was committed to the the world cup that was in canada in 2015 he was he's committed to the world cup in uh, in canada one of the three countries that will host it in 2026 um and then we'll then we'll see. He, he he's not an old guy. He's still got lots of uh, oh, I lots get it. Of years to 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 uh, contribute and coach somewhere. You know, I mean, I, well, I, I just wonder that he could uh, be back in the in the Premier League if he wanted to be. Maybe. Well, look at I, I mean, maybe maybe coaching two consecutive national women's teams because <coughs> he coached the New Zealand women's team before he came to Canada. Right. Maybe that's been downplayed. Um, on his resume you know well okay fine you did that but what can you do with with a men's team well he's doing it and he's doing it very quickly and if this team has the ultimate success and gets to a world cup uh he's going to wind up going somewhere mark my words um so i'm driving the car last night and the pregame show is on for monday night football right and bears steelers right so you got one bad team and one mediocre team mm -hmm. playing on Monday night, which is not uncommon. The announcer comes off the commercial and says, well, here we are. We're getting ready for the, a gigantic struggle tonight, a real big game between the Steelers and the Bears. And I almost drove off the road. I said, well, <laughs> it may be a game for you. Maybe it's your last broadcast. Maybe it should be your last broadcast if you think this is a big game. A three and five team against what? A five and three team? Like, come on. Now, it turned out to be a reasonably entertaining football game, but he yeah. didn't say it was going to be entertaining. He said it was going to be big, as in important. It yeah, was that, not that. But that's, that's what the NFL does Poppy more card. than any other league. I mean, How I don't do? care. Tell me you got a, we, 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 we're hoping we'll get a good, a good game, not like a monumental, you know, no, championship, you, two undefeated teams going head to head. Give me a break. The NFL does a better job of hyping itself than any other league. Well, and I'm never I, working and, for them. No. You can't well, the truth and don't be on the air. Well, did, How well, many damn listen, puppets we, in broadcasting? Can That's we, the problem. Uh, if you can't tell the truth, so are you going to get Aaron Rodgers online too then? 
You're going to get Aaron Rodgers? Go ahead. I'll talk to Aaron Rodgers. And nothing's going to happen to him, Bob. Well, I don't care. Nothing's going to happen. It's a big, no. it's, a, it's too much. It's a big story about nothing. What? Want to get, he didn't want to get vaccinated or he, he, he got some alternative medicine or whatever. Yeah. And he, he, he lied about it. So what? Yeah. Who cares? Well, no, except, it, well, except that the protocols are in place that if you're vaccinated, you can do certain things. If you're not vaccinated, you have to do it the other way. Evander well, so, Kane got 21 game suspension for doing, doing something like this. 21 well, so why, doesn't the NFL, why doesn't the NFL suspend him for 21 days? Exactly. Well, I'm with you. There Bob. you go. There's, that's the NFL. Yeah, I know. That's my point. They do, they hype things, they they uh, deflect things, they protect things. That's what they do. And it was a hell of a football game. Yeah, well, they're only they're not interested in the quality of the entertainment product. They're interested in the quality of the, the number of viewers and the numbers of dollars can generate. It is the most business of of sports that there is. Yeah. Without question. Without question. Without question. And it's and, one of the reasons why I hate the NFL. And- the reason but it's one I of the reasons it. why it's one of the reasons why people point to it and say we should be like the nfl well we should change we should be better we should I and mean, that's what owners look at the nfl with such jealousy it's unbelievable yeah they're all they're full of crap the nfl i mean they they have a good product i will give you that oh, and it's been a hell of a year for football it's been a hell of a year for football. what because the games are decent no because well the games are entertaining Bob. yeah well, some are, some aren't. John, you're being that's a that's a really broad statement. You think the games are better this year than they are in normal years? I would I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think it's been a better year this year than the last couple. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll point out a whole bunch of one-sided games that uh, were, you know uh, took place yeah. even this past week. And uh, okay, we'll hey, we're gonna uh, tomorrow. We're gonna stay. We're gonna stay in Edmonton tomorrow. We got Herdman today in Edmonton. Tomorrow we're gonna stay in Edmonton too. So. All right, we'll tell them about it tomorrow. Uh, That'll do it for us. We'll see you then. Goodbye, everybody.